0: The Gospel this morning is from the book of Mark, the 10th chapter. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate." Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me, do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: You may be seated. Thanks, Allison. Grace to you this morning and peace from Jesus. One of the greatest constants across all four of the gospels is the way that Jesus attracts people. Like a magnet dragging through iron filings, Jesus simply walks around his country and people rush to meet him from every crack and crevice of society—women and men, rich and poor, powerful and outcast, Jew and Samaritan and Roman, healthy, diseased, demon-possessed, and near-death. They all come to Jesus but they come very differently. People carry different assumptions about Jesus. Who he is, what he's about, what he's able to do. They want different things from him and they have different ways of getting what they want. Jesus, on the other hand, is about one thing and one thing only, grace and love, and wholeness, and healing, and reconciliation, and I realize that's actually five things, so let me boil it down for you. What Jesus is always about is bringing the incomprehensible fullness of life with God to each person who lives, and to every speck of this whole universe— That's his underlying mission in every story from the Gospels, no matter what action he's taking. It's helpful to keep that in mind, especially when you see Jesus do an about-face, like in today's reading. We get, in these short verses, a Jesus who battles with the Pharisees over the finer points of Jewish divorce law, and a Jesus who welcomes and embraces the children in his midst with gentleness. It's enough to give you whiplash. Yet, behind Jesus' wildly different actions is this same desire to make the incomprehensible fullness of life with God known. And how Jesus makes this life known depends on how you come to him. Jesus' grace looks different to people in different situations and with different needs. The Pharisees, those religious authorities of the day, they receive grace after they come to Jesus to test him. Here's the thing about tests— You can only give one if you think you know the answers. And if you think you know the answers, then why is there any need to listen for anything else? For what does the world have to offer you when you know it all already? There's a word for this. Pride. And the sin of pride is actually not so much about thinking highly about ourselves. The sin of pride is about closing ourselves off to the world through our stubborn insistence that this world has nothing more to give us. And a wall gets built around our minds, and our hearts, having no need to stay open, harden and turn to stone So the grace that Jesus offers to people caught in their own pride like the Pharisees looks like a sledgehammer that smashes open hearts that have turned to stone. It looks like a wrecking ball that breaks a hole in the walls around our self-assured minds so that new light can get in. And let me tell you, when you've gotten accustomed to that dim lighting in your walled-off brain, the new light of God is stunning. It makes you blink for a while. And the Gospels, they're littered with stories of people who leave an encounter with Jesus more confused or troubled than they were when they came to him. And that is grace. That's the life of God taking root right there. That's what happens to the Pharisees this morning. Jesus bestows unto them the great grace of befuddlement. That's what this story is really about. It's not the divorce stuff. That's the sideshow. Just a point about that. We know that nothing Nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. And we know that all people have a place in God's kingdom. And so here at Mount Olivet, we embrace divorced and remarried individuals without shame. Even though it seems at odds with what Jesus is saying here. And part of the reason why we can do that is because we know that this story is really about grace. It's about Jesus giving the Pharisees grace that pops the, wa- the bubble of pride that protects them from the world. It's about Jesus giving the grace of internal tension that eventually pokes through the walls around their closed minds to bring them to that incomprehensible fullness of life with God. So when you come to Jesus to test him, grace then sounds like an argument. But if you come to Jesus like a child, grace sounds different. It sounds like permission. Do not stop them, says Jesus, as some children bumble toward him. What does he see about them that draws out such praise and affirmation? Why does he use these children as a model for faith? I think of the pre-kindergarteners at our child learning center downstairs. Oftentimes when I pull into work, I see the class setting out on a walk through the park or the neighborhood. One of the teachers told me this week that the class, they pretty much do these walks daily, and that the walks are a couple miles long. (laughs) And it's like, first of all, how can you fathom what a couple miles is when you're four years old? And on top of that, the kids don't really know where they're headed when they step out of the building. The teachers don't really tell them. For me, it's like, ain't no way you're taking me on a walk for a couple miles without telling me exactly where we're going. But these children hold an attitude about where they're headed that basically boils down to, eh, whatever direction is fine, I'm sure we'll get there. They don't know where they are going, but they trust that the journey is worth their time. I think of a couple babies I know who are at that developmental stage where they can start to recognize when people are talking to one another. These babies hear adults chatting and they're like, oh, okay, I guess that's what we're doing now. And so they join in with coos and grunts. They don't know our language, but they sense that they have something to contribute to the conversation or I think of children here in worship who play with each other or doze off or who are otherwise blissfully unaware of me and Pastor Beth as we bless this holy meal at this table, a meal that has a meaning so fraught that it's caused schisms in the church. Yet, when they come forward, it's like this— Confident, outstretched hand. They have no idea what this meal means, but they know that they belong here. That's what Jesus sees in these children. And that's what faith is. It's not knowing where you're going, but trusting that there is meaning in the journey. It's not understanding how the world works, but trusting that you have something to share with it. It's not comprehending all things about God, but a simple trust that you belong to God. I saw faith like that this week at our church council meeting. As we have been talking about here for many months, Mount Olivet is being called by God to become more connected to our community, to partner with others in the neighborhood to extend welcome, healing, and rest to people in the West Metro who may never be a part of our congregation, and to commit to meeting them in their need. Following this call is going to involve using everything we've got, including our building and grounds, as a tool for fulfilling this mission that God has invited us to. The Council was talking about some of the ways that we might proceed, opportunities that we might take in the next couple years. And it suddenly dawned on us that nobody in the room had any clarity on where pursuing this vision might take us beyond 2019. I got nervous. We've got to have a plan. How will we know what to do without a plan? But God's spirit of wisdom was at that table with us. One council member said this, It's okay that we don't know every exact detail of where this will end up. Clarity will emerge along the way. As we place ourselves closer to the needs of our community, God will show us where to go. The vision isn't ours to know fully yet, but as we act, it will come forth. And then Mark Schmidt, our council president, said this. He said, actually, that means we're in pretty good company. The way we feel now is the way those four or five families felt in the 1800s as they sat around their kitchen tables and decided to form this church. They had no idea what they were doing or how this would end up. They only had a sense that this is what God wanted them to do. That gave me courage, because faith has always felt this way. It's not knowledge, but assurance that God is with you. It's not that you've arrived, but a sense that you're on your way. In fact, we are no different than those children in Scripture walking today. And the beautiful detail is this. Those children are walking toward Jesus. And the voice of grace is Jesus saying, Do not stop them! And with these words of grace, we already taste and see and know the incomprehensible fullness of life with God. And that's the very kind of life that Jesus came to bring to this earth. Grace isn't getting that life when we reach Jesus. Grace is getting that life on the way. That kind of life always arrives as a gift. It lies beyond our understanding. We cannot build it by our efforts or earn it or demand it. We simply must receive it freely from God. And praise be to God that in Jesus God does give us the grace to receive it. Be we Pharisee or child or both at once, Jesus gives us all grace. Grace that smashes our hardened hearts open, grace that melts our self-assurance into blessed confusion, grace that makes us trust that there is meaning in the journey, and grace that does not stop us as we wander in, wander our way into the incomprehensible fullness of life with God. Keep walking. Jesus is ahead of you. Amen.